0: Welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science of running and the stuff that we put on our feet. Today is episode number 83. We have Matt Klein, our founder, with us, as well as myself, Nathan Brown. And more importantly, we have a special guest with us today. This is someone we've wanted to talk to for a long time, and we had so many questions for him that this is going to be one huge interview that we're going to split into two sections. So today you're going to get a lot of background in biomechanics and holistically how our body interacts with shoes and then next week, we're going to go out and dive a lot deeper into the actual material science of foams and what we should really be looking at as we assess what foams are trying to do. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome Dr. Jeff Burns to the roundtable. Dr. Jeff Burns is a physiologist and engineer with an expertise in running. He works for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee as a sport physiologist, and he conducts academic research with the University of Michigan. His work is focused on running biomechanics and performance. Jeff is a runner himself and competes internationally in ultra marathons. He was the 2016 USA national champion in the 100K and has finished fifth at the 100K world championships twice in 2016 and 2018. Jeff, welcome to the roundtable.
2: It's absolutely my pleasure. Um, These are, you know, you guys and your audience are, yeah, you're my people. Um, I'm excited, excited to talk through, talk through any of this stuff that we're going to talk through with you guys today and and hopefully... uh, Hopefully get some gears spinning in, in people's heads. Fantastic.
0: What we're going to do first is our subjective for the week. This is, Jeff, where we ask a question to everybody and uh, just kind of get a gauge on what they think about this topic. So the subjective this week is, what is your hardest or worst race experience you've ever had? And from that, what did you learn from it? So, Jeff, we're going to pitch this question to you. It'll give us a little picture into your ultra... I mean, I'm assuming maybe your, one of your hardest was an ultra marathon at some point. But what would you say for for that question?
2: Yeah, uh, that's that's actually I would say that's an easy one. <laughs> there have been <laughs> there have been lots of hard races, but um, the one that I know I went the deepest on and was was you know really. I like to say, you know, we're, we're a sponge when we race and you try and wring as much water out of that sponge as you possibly can. And it was the, the 2018 world championships in the hundred K that I, I got the most out of myself that I think I ever have. And it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a really hard race. So it was in Croatia. Um, and it was in, uh, yeah, Northern Croatia by the border of, um, Slovenia. Um, and it's, uh, it's a wine region. And I love like, I'm a wine guy. I love wine, but the thing that makes great wine are slopes and not mountains, but slopes. And so the course is just up and down nonstop. It's hundred kilometers. And so it's loops. And that's what most, most of these world championships are looped courses. So it's the seven and a half kilometer loop through, you know, just very, just rolling train. So there's no flat Uh. on this seven and a half kilometer loop that you then do ad infinitum (laughs) over and over. (laughs) So it was just this like bacon strip over and over. So the course is tough, but it's in the summertime it's in uh, September and it was humid. So it's hot and humid. So it was like, you know, seventies, seventies and like, I can't remember the specific humidity percentages, but it was, it was very, very, very humid. So it's hot, humid, rolling, which is just brutal conditions, which I actually, it's hard to race in, but I love that because I I think it's one of those things where it's like everybody has to deal with it. And if you prepared well for it, then that you can kind of showcase that, but still makes it really hard. So anyways, the conditions were tough, um, but what made the race so challenging was it was probably the most stacked field that there had ever been in the 100K World Championships because you had... Um, like the South African team has a bunch of guys who have won comrades (laughs) who are on it. So they're kind of the, the horses and then the Japanese team, they brought really a full squad of guys who, you know, had just broken the world record that had stood for decades. Um, former world champion on their team, as well as a handful of other guys who had run some of the fastest times ever. And so they brought a full stable. And then of course, you know, other athletes from around the world. Um, so it was really, absolutely a a stacked field, terrible conditions. And I was in, I knew I was in the best shape of my life going into it. Um, and so the race got off and going through and I was, um, through some of the race, I was out front with one of the Japanese guys. So it kind of went, went to plan. And, um, we were running pretty quick for how hilly and, and hot it was, but as anybody who's run an ultra marathon knows, like, Like about two thirds of the way through the race, like you get past half point, it's halfway and it starts to get tough, but then you get like three quarters of the way in once you get like 70 K 80 K and you just, you could have a great day or a bad day, but you're still in hell. It's still a horrible, horrible place. (laughs) Um, and so at this point too, the sun is, you know, it's now noon and the sun is high in the sky. It's just getting hotter and hotter cooking us. Um, and so by, by now I had kind of shaken out and I was in fifth place. And I was thinking, I'm like, you know, I'm like, man, in this field, if I can be top five, that's incredible. Like that's, I was thinking like incredible day. I can be top five, but the problem with the looped course is, you know, and I'm at, at this point in kind of the despair of survival, like this is rough. Got to <laughs> keep going, but <laughs> your looped course, so you can see all of your competitors, you know, and especially cause there's, there's hairpins at both ends. So you go buy them each time. And right around, it was like around 70, 75K, I started like started really feeling the heat, really feeling the hills, and my body was just starting to shut down. And I see, uh, it's kind of like old, he's a friend and a rival from Sweden. His name's Fritjof Fajerlund. So Fritjof and the former multi-time world champion, Giorgio Calcaterra from Italy, are both coming up. And each time we go around this loop, they're getting closer and closer and closer. And when you're at a dark point in a race and you get this, you certainly get this even in marathons, but sometimes in shorter races where when you, when you feel that momentum shift and it's, and you're on the wrong side of that momentum, it just snowballs this like negative psychology. And so I'm feeling them getting closer and closer every lap, but also in that sense of just like utter despair of like, I don't even know how I'm going to finish this race. And so I'm just thinking, I'm like, I, have to, I worked so hard to get to top five. And it's like, if they get me, and there are, there are other guys coming as well. And I can see them. And I'm like, if this falls apart and they catch me, then that's like a huge opportunity and enormous preparation wasted. And so I'm feeling this. And by like three laps to go, we're now past like 80K. I don't even know how I'm moving forward. And I'm like holding them off, but they're getting closer and closer and they can feel it. And on the flip side, they're feeling the momentum and they're like, Coming on me and like it's feeding into it. And I'm just thinking it's the, I mean, the feeling that it is is like being on the gallows of like the noose around your neck of like these guys are coming to take my day and I can't do anything about it because I'm dying. And then it just became this thing of like, all right, well, I'm going to die. They're going to catch me, but it's not going to be in this stretch of road. And then you finish uh, that stretch of road and it's like, okay, I'm going to die but it's not going to be in this stretch of road either. And then you just take it and it's like, I'm going to die, but it's not going to be in this moment. Then you get to the next moment and it's like, I'm going to die, but it's not going to be in this moment. And so just keep going like that. And by some, like, I don't know, they didn't catch me by the last lap, but they were getting really close. And so then I get to the last lap and I'm like, I'm dead, but I made it to this point. I can't like, I can't lay down now. I just have to, like, I have to go somewhere deeper and keep going. And it just truly became that thing of like 10 more meters. And just like, you're not, you're not going to give up. You're not going to give up in this breath. You're not going to give up in this breath. Like, and finally I couldn't, It, and again, anybody who's kind of raced this longer stuff knows, like at that point, it's like every single, you can't even fathom the like distress you're in at that point where it's like, Every meter feels like a mile. Uh, sorry for the mixture of uh, units there. Um, well, maybe yeah. I should. That, that I think we're, we're not, not judging because meters, 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 and kilometers are superior units. So to say it feels like a mile is kind of an insult to the meter, anyways. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, so it's just like dragging on, and so finally it's this last lap, and holding him off, and and I think I thought I had held off Fritjof, but Giorgio was coming in hot on me. And like the Italian Federation had people all up and down and I can just hear them cheering. Like, I know he's like 30 seconds behind me, but I had like stalled the momentum and we're just going, going, going. And finally, and then I hear other cheers and I don't know who that is, but so finally get into like the last kilometer and it's like the the home stretch where you have everybody cheering and I can, I'm not looking back, I'm never looking back, but I can hear that the time of the cheers, And so I'm going and then like 10 (laughs) seconds later, I hear people screaming for Giorgio. And then we go through this long tunnel where all the tables are. That's like 400 meters from the finish. And it's like slight uphill. And I can hear people screaming for Giorgio because he's closing in on me. And I'm just like, no, just get to the end of this tunnel. Like if, if you get to the end of this tunnel, at least you put up a fight. And then so I get to the end and he still hasn't caught me. But now I know he's like five seconds behind me. And the finish line is just right around the corner. And so now we're a hundred meters and he's right down my, he's like steps behind me. And so I just start sprinting. But then what I didn't know was now Kazami Japanese guy um, who had just set the world record here in 609 for the hundred K. So he's he like oh smashed gosh. the world record. Um, yeah. He had went out, he was up front early on, but kind of then passed him later and, he had rallied big time apparently and had just this crazy fast last lap. He whipped by Giorgio and then was coming up on me. And so it's the end of the race and I'm like up on my toes. I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm like, I'm 50 meters from the finish. I'm not losing in a sprint to any of these guys. Like <laughs> Ron, Ron Warhurst was my coach and you know, he's a famous middle distance coach and I can just hear him yelling at me, like go to my arms, go to my arms, like keep it tight. And like, so I'm like I'm not losing in a sprint to any of these guys, so I'm going, 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 like, and I end up barely out leaning now at the oh line. Oh my god! He comes across, like, stumbles, collapses to the ground. Giorgio comes by like a second later, and I just I finished it, and I was just overjoyed. And by the way, there's like. Um, Brian Powell from I run far captured all of it, both on video and on like a couple pictures and has this incredible sequence. And I'm sure it was like this super intense moment for me, but I bet if you were watching it from the side, it looked like just a clown show of people like sprinting at the end of this hot, humid race. But anyways, I finished the race and I mean, I was pumped. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I like hell on to fifth place. And it's like world champion breathing down my neck, like world record holder. And the crazy thing though, is like, I was overjoyed at the moment, but then like, I walk out of the tunnel and I go to the, like our athlete hotel is right next to the, um, uh, right next to the, like the finish line thing. And there's like, so I walk in the side door and there's a vestibule and I, and I like stand in the vestibule and then I just kind of like sit down and I just started crying like sobbing Mm -hmm. and it wasn't tears of joy. It was the weird it was the weirdest feeling I've ever had in my life. It was this feeling of like I hit my limit at like 75 or 80k, but I just had to keep going and it was the it was that feeling. It was almost like traumatic relief of like I was staring at death <laughs> and like mm-hmm. and it like for some reason like used more coin than I had to hold it off and and it was just this weird utter feeling of like of like, I can't believe I did that to myself. And like, <laughs> not consciously thinking that, but I think my body was like saying that, but I was just like sobbing. And it was like, oh my gosh. And I got up and like got myself together. And it, yeah, it was a very strange experience, but I've never, I've never had anything like that. And it's like, it was it kind of like in a weird way, scarred me. Cause it's like, I don't i don't know if i could do that again go through that again <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that was a crazy one sprinting holding off for 20k of the last 100k and then having to sprint at the end was it was something else um,
0: what an incredible story yeah
2: that was my last that was probably my last race in uh normal shoes as well <laughs> what did oh, you run what did you run that yeah, in, it was in uh, ultra escalante but interestingly that was that was one of the first years that the Vaporfly became widely available so that was like now now you know he set the world record in those shoes and so he had them handful of the japanese guys did the south african guys did so wow so yeah i'll jo- I, I don't want to like make qualifications but i'll say like i think of the four guys in front of me i think two or three of them i think three yeah three of them were Wearing them, because um, yeah, Bong Musa um, and two Japanese guys, and then uh, but crazy Hideki Yamaguchi, uh, Japanese, uh, the guy who won it, uh, world champion, was not. He was an Adios Boost, so I can't make excuses wow. there. He's just a boss. Incredible. Anyways, that's so, sorry, long story. Cool. Well, that's that, a great that's story. A, I mean,
0: great stories are great stories, and it's funny. Like your, it's cool how your hardest race experience was still a triumph and you have some cool ideas of just like this straight away or this straight away or this straight away. And for me, I'm not a, I'm not a super competitive runner. I, I like to run. Um, and I go in races, but I'm not actually competing against the people, except for one time, like one five mile race. I actually was like competitive with the field just because I'm from a smaller town and the experience of just being around other runners and having that as a whole other factor. Cause most of the time I'm just running a marathon, basically against myself. And so that's a, that factor of people coming up on you or seeing them in front of you and how you deal with that mentally and what you choose to do. And for you, segmenting it down to smaller, smaller pieces to be able to take steps forward. Pretty cool. So if you guys want to share your hardest race experience with us, um, you can do it through Spotify. We always put the question up there. Otherwise, uh, this, video we always release on Fridays right now. And so you could go on YouTube at that point and comment there or email us at Podcast at com and just share your story. And we like to tell other people's stories. Uh, so if you want us to share that, we're hoping to share a couple stories next week that are have some good lessons or some inspiration for others. So thanks, Jeff, for sharing that. And um, I don't think I'm ever going to do a 100k, but we'll see.
2: Yeah, we'll you see. never know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, here's yeah, my traumatic
1: like, experience. Let me inspire you to do this too. I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, it I, sounds and I don't though. I don't
2: have any I don't have any that I could share with you that I could say hundred Ks that were like, Yeah, it was a joy to run. No, they're all really
0: hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's but, a whole other topic. Like what brings somebody to go do that to themselves? Yeah, I don't know. Over it's weird. Over.
2: That's what Bruce Fordyce, famous comrades, you know, multi time champion always says he's like, you get, you know, comrade. So comrades is about 90 kilometers long. It's like you get past 70 K and you're just swearing at yourself. Like never again, why would I do this? Never again. And then you finish the race. And a lot of times you're thinking that was awful. Never again. But then two weeks later, you're just thinking like, all right, I'm going for it again. <laughs>
1: there's a psychological term for this that happens with the same thing with childbirth, where for whatever reason, there's a your brain seems to forget or like blocks it out. But you lose that memory. So you're like, it wasn't that bad when in the moment you're like, that was horrible. I'm never doing this again. So I forget what that's called. Somebody comment below what that's There's a yeah. there's a term for that. I forget what it is.
2: I heard, I heard a a psychologist talking about that same thing. And I I think it's like a superpower of, of humans and maybe not a superpower, but it's our ability to like forget or not, yeah. Not be able to carry very extreme negative, you know, emotions and sensations. It's like that. Yeah. That selective, selective memory. But, and it's that, I think it's one of the interesting things that getting back to like, I always thought about this, you know, when I was, say, when I was first starting running competitively in like middle school and high school, you can never, like, this was something that always made me curious, but you can never experience the, you know, some people call it the pain that you have in a race, but really that distress that you go through, you can't experience that, not in the moment. Like, you can't remember it, you can't, It's just this weird thing, and and maybe it is – I think it is a superpower of humans because we have this amazing cognitive capacity, but if we did have that ability to remember it, we'd never go do hard things again. (laughs) Yeah. For real. (laughs) So, yeah. I feel
1: feel bad not remembering this because they're actually studying that concept because there's some early research in the area of chronic pain, and individuals that are experiencing that realizing that mechanism may not – not only is not working for whatever reason for them, but actually has reversed where sometimes things will become even more sensitive or blown up. And I'm not. I'm, hopefully, I'm not saying this the wrong way, but we our brain may change the interpretation of it in a different sense. And so there's a huge area in the chronic pain research that's looking at this. And so it's a superpower. I don't know if it always works the way we expect, but it is very fascinating how our brains can like at times create selective memories on this stuff. And when it's hopefully when it's beneficial not always but
0: yes right awesome well thanks Jeff for that story we get a little bit about your running uh, but I'm going to kick it to Matt Matt's going to kind of lead the interview here about kind of your educational background and then diving into our topic for the day it's really about foams and talking about them from a ton of different angles what we know about them what we don't looking at it biomechanically looking at it injury wise we'll go into everything but uh, Matt I'll kick it over to you.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm super excited to talk to Jeff just because he wrote a landmark – well, I think it's a landmark article back in 2019-2018 called Is It the Shoes? A Simple Proposal for Regulating Footwear and Road Running. And I we reference this all the time as well as to some some of his other works. But I encourage people to read this just because there is a lot of good information out there in the research world. There's some kind of arguments that happen in – in terms of marketing that I think people have not quite caught up on and I encourage people to read this because even though this is a couple years old now it is still very relevant so on that topic Jeff would you mind talking people through a little little bit of your educational background your research focus and how you got into that and then let's transition into foams after that especially with because it's so interesting
2: yeah so I'm um you guys know like just talk through that I'm I'm a runner and and I have been I was born and raised in in the sport of running. My dad is a coach, uh, but before he was even a coach, he was himself, a you know, dedicated student of the sport, passionate runner. So I grew up around that. Um, you know, I grew up, I, I always joke. I you know, feel like I like grew up in a shoe store cause that's where his friends were. And that's where he hung out and I worked there and through high school and college. Um, but I, I, yeah, so I also, I studied engineering and so I actually wrote, I wrote my, my, uh, college entrance essay to the university of Michigan, um, trying to get into the, you know, get into biomedical engineering. I wrote my essay on that. I wanted to design running shoes. Like that's why I wanted a degree in biomedical engineering. Um, oh my gosh. and so Amazing. I studied that. I did my bachelor's degree, did my master's degree in that. And that's a really, um, that was just such a, a wonderful, um, I would say educational preparation. Cause it really gives you a breadth of engineering um, experiences in terms of mechanics, materials, electrical engineering, chemical engineering, all that stuff, but then also with the biological underpinning and essentially kind of like a pre-med curriculum. So kind of marrying those two. Um, but as I moved through that, I, I also, um, yes, took a lot of classes in different areas, got interested in different things. Um, you know, I took a lot of classes in our business school and became really interested in process optimization and things like that. And so I kind of moved away from running shoes a little bit, but worked as an engineer for a medical device company afterwards. Um, we did, we made pacemakers and, and leads, uh, cardiac leads for the pacemakers. Um, yeah. And then after that, I knew I started, I got the feeling that I'm like, okay, I'm a science. I'm a scientist. I, I, I love, you know, I, I really love the academic pursuit and, um, And that's, you know, that's where my heart is. So I kind of knew I wanted to come back and do a PhD eventually, wasn't sure what I wanted to do it in. And then for a few years, I actually worked as a biomechanics research engineer for the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at Michigan. So I was working with surgeons and residents to do research, uh, to essentially do set up, you know, biomechanical um, research investigations into their surgical procedures, um, you know, testing whether it's suture strengths or... Um, different plate fixations on bones and and things like that. So I, that was really, that I think set me up in a really unique way to move into kinesiology and sports sciences, because I was, I mean, I was working a lot with cadaveric material. Um, And so I was, I, you know, there were times where daily I was doing cadaveric dissections because we'd have, you know, projects where we were doing it on, you know, human tissue. And, you know, a lot of like a lot of, like our surgical residents, they would go through the entire, their entire residency and have maybe four or five dissections. And I was getting to do it like every day. <laughs> and so like understanding, and at the same time, I'm getting to do materials testing on, you know, this human tissue. So I'm ripping tendons and breaking bones and, and doing all this stuff. And it's like, and so that was, you know, doing that for a couple of years before coming back to school was was something that was, really informed I think my understanding of anatomy and physiology really well as well as mechanics so anyways did that and then knew you know I trying to figure out what I wanted to do my PhD in but I you know my I knew in my heart it had to be something related to running um and then I was fortunate enough to be able to do that with um Ron Zernicki who's uh, he was formerly dean um of our school of kinesiology stepped down um from that. And I got to be his, I got to be his PhD student at, you know, after he sat down and he had, I mean, he's had a long, illustrious career, um, especially in, you know, biomechanics of injury and stuff like that. Um, at Michigan as well. Yeah. Right? Yep. Dang, all at that's Michigan. a lot
0: of, that's a lot of Michigan. Sorry. How much of a Michigan sports fan are you? I'm a badger. So I went to Wisconsin. Oh,
2: okay. so um, I, I don't have animosity towards Wisconsin. Um, I, I feel the like same Wisconsin. way. I like Wisconsin. I like Wisconsin. Oh. My um,
0: father-in-law is a Michigan fan, too. So, like, okay. I I hate yeah. Ohio State. So, like, we have a common oh, enemy. Yeah,
2: we're friends then.
0: So, cool. yeah. If you, have any,
2: if you have any Ohio State fans in the audience, they can they can just shut it off now. Um, they really don't need to listen. We <laughs> don't want you to follow us. <laughs> uh, they wouldn't understand. <laughs> anyways, no, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm going to get chastised. Um, anyways. <laughs> yeah. For good but reason. That's, that's I mean, why that's why I our, our comment. We're
1: just going to get so much stuff in our comment section yeah. on this episode. It's
2: great. <laughs> Um, but on the flip side, any Michigan fans, you know, will, will really rally around that maybe. Um, and yeah, I was going to say that's the reason why college sports are awesome because they are outlet for irrational hatred. Um, so (laughs) yeah. Um, no, actually, so that is, is one of those things, right? I I grew up loving the university of Michigan. I'm from Michigan originally. Um, I, I joke at the end, I had, I had so I've, I have now three degrees from the University of Michigan, um, as well as a postdoctoral fellowship, and I think it was two hundred fifty-eight credit hours after I finished. Oh my it. gosh! Oh, so awesome. have you paid
0: Michigan more than they've paid you. Have you done the math on this? That's actually a really good question. <laughs> That's it. Probably That's a great question. At like
2: a, Graduate student stipend. Um, yeah, I think we're probably. I don't know if I hit the break-even point by the end of my PhD fellowship or not. Um, yeah. Cool. So, anyways, but yeah. So a lot of University of Michigan, but I I love it, and that's actually why I wanted to do my PhD there. PhD there because like, and, and in addition to that, I had worked you know worked there, but I was like, I know one, I love this institution, and it fires me up to do great work here. But two, I also, at that point, had understood the structures of it. And for anybody who has moved around in academia, I saw, like, if I went to another institution, I was like, I know there's going to be a lot of hurdles, like trying to learn, just learn the ropes of everything. Whereas I knew, you know, I knew people all over campus. I knew the resources I went to. So yeah, it allowed me to be more efficient with my work for sure. But yeah, I absolutely love that university. Um, so. So, yeah, so that was, I did my PhD and, and studied running biomechanics. Um, my, my work focused on modeling runners as spring systems, essentially, like thinking of us uh, in a global mechanical sense rather than uh, the traditional joint level or limb level, you know, kind of, we'd call it component level analysis, um, like rather than looking at what, six. yeah, rather than what, looking at like what the knee or the shank or the ankle, is doing, um, studying, yeah, how the runner behaves as a system as a whole. Um, so some of your audience might have heard the term, you know, terms like leg stiffness or things like that. And that's really, that's that's kind of what I was studying runners as, is this bouncing spring system. Um, so part of my work was developing new methods, using that idea of a runner as a bouncing system to, to study us. And then part of it was applying existing methods um, to study new populations of runners. So I'd studied um, you know, we had a study that I did collaborating with the University of Cape Town looking at some Kenyan distance runners and how their spring behaviors differed. Um had study I had a study that I colloquially termed the biomechanics of the sub-four minute mile. I had a bunch of elite middle distance runners come through the lab and and uh looked at their mechanical patterns and running economy things like that. Um so so yeah, so I had the the privilege and pleasure to do that, and then along the way, um, you know, shoes have always been uh, uh, an area of oh, I don't know, I don't I don't want to say like interest. I mean, I, it's I wouldn't even say they're an area of interest. They're like a, I, they're just this this necessary. Like if you are a runner by definition or by um, by constitution, if you are a runner by constitution your shoes are, that's part of your body. Um, and so I think most runners understand this, like it's not even on an intellectual level. We just, they're just, they're, they're our shoes. Um, and so I've always, you know, I've always had a fascination and, um, my mother would probably say an obsession. Um, yeah, but, uh, my dad would probably say, no, no. Like, yeah, it's just part of your body. Of course. Um, yeah. So anyway, so (laughs) she's, you're at the right
1: crowd right now. This is good. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Um, but yeah, so along the way, of course, um, the world, the world, the running world had a nice big earthquake in the form of footwear, like halfway through my PhD work or actually it was very early on in it. Um, and that, you know, that certainly launched things. And then, you know, I was fortunate enough to, um, get a a little bit of a voice in that. Um, and so, yeah. And so that kind of led us to where we are today. And then after that, I should have now circuitously describing my path. Um, I I did my postdoctoral fellowship also at Michigan after, after I graduated, (laughs) I, I defended, I defended my dissertation in, um, March of 2020. I was the last public event at the university of Michigan before, the coronavirus pandemic shut everything wow. down. Friday, March 13th was my dissertation yeah. defense. And it was like things were shutting down all around. And But I was just like laser focused. I was like, no way. I've worked four years. I'm doing this in public. Um, and so right, dur- it was actually during my defense that the university president said, at noon, everything is closed, hard stop. And, wow. you know, I finished at 1130 and, <laughs> and then the world went silent, but I was okay with that. Um, and then, so yeah, then started my postdoctoral fellowship shortly thereafter and, you know, continued doing running research, um, has, have done some, some work with the phones. And then I just finished that. And in the last few weeks, just started as a physiologist with the Olympic and Paralympic committee, um, here I'm at the training center in Colorado Springs. So whole new adventure, um, and I mean, cause that gets back to, yes, I love running and it's my object of, you know, it's how I understand the world, but I truly love, I love it all endurance sport, but really love, um, performance optimization and, you know, getting athletes, helping athletes win and to do it at the highest level is not just a dream, but, but really kind of how, um, yeah, how I want to both challenge myself and and potentially have the opportunity to have a, a cool impact with with our, uh, our best and brightest.
1: So, so speaking of the optimization as someone who's written about, so I encourage everyone listening to go s- check out his article on the, the bouncing behavior of sub four minute milers is a phenomenal article that really has some great information that can help you understand how the body is kind of moving and how it starts to move in say an elite athlete and some of these behaviors and these biomechanical principles that often are not addressed in in terms of the things that running shoes and running companies will tell you about. You know, it's not just the shoe. There's other components when it comes to running. People become, not that we're judging, become very, like, focused on the shoe and there's a lot of impact. But I guess the biggest question is for our listeners, there's a lot of new stuff coming out in terms of foams, in terms of plates and stuff like that. And I'd encourage them also to, to read the article that you wrote that I referenced earlier on some of the different components. But what would you t- what would you want the audience to know in terms of how are these shoes impacting our biomechanics? I know it's a very broad question, but if you were going to try to simplify that down into a, into a you know, really straightforward thing, what would you tell people that and maybe things that they need to be aware of that they may not be thinking of?
2: Yeah, so how how the running shoes affect our biomechanics? Um I mean It's, yeah, it's, that's a big, that's a big, a big, a big area. (laughs) Um, I think a good place to start is to think, um, yeah, is to think of running shoes as essentially portable surfaces on our feet. So the surfaces on which we run, like have distinct effects on our bodies and running shoes really are that. You know, we're putting a new surface on our foot because otherwise, you know, let's think about running barefoot. Um, That has its own very distinct mechanics. But as soon as we put, um, you know, if you're running barefoot on different surfaces, you have different, you know, different essentially interactions. Think of running on asphalt versus on grass. It's a very different experience for your body. And one of the interesting things that happens when we run on different surfaces is when we run on surfaces of different uh stiffnesses so this this term will probably no this term will come up a lot in the conversation and already has but we'll really quick define stiffness for your audience Um, so stiffness is by definition um a force over displacement so how much force a given thing Changes in distance. <laughs> so you can think of uh, you know, a spring, the stiffness of a spring. If you stand on a spring and it compresses down 10 centimeters, and then you stand on another, spr- on another spring that's the same length, and it compresses down 20 centimeters, um, that first spring is twice as stiff, if that makes sense. So you can think of it for a given force, the amount that something displaces. Um, or, you know, conversely, for a given displacement, the amount of force that could cause that. So think about that. So a very stiff thing will not displace very much under force. A very compliant thing, which is the inverse of stiffness, will displace a lot under force. Anyways, so surfaces, that's one of the defining features of our different different surfaces that we run on is different levels of, you know, stiffness. Um, so that's one of the big ways that our bodies change as we run over surfaces. Um the softer and softer that a surface is, we actually stiffen up our body to essentially counteract that and keep our, our um, center of mass, our overall vertical bounce consistent. So you essentially, as you run on softer and softer surfaces, it's paradoxical because it feels softer, holistically in your body, but your body actually is tightening up range of motion and joints um, and just preserving that vertical bounce. Um, so anyways, so if we think of that on different surfaces, um, we then move that to shoes. And again, thinking of shoes as these portable surfaces on our feet, um, yeah, the same phenomenon happens where, where, um, generally speaking, and this is, this is harder to study. And I think I can make these prognostications, but like the research that we have on different levels of shoe compliance. And when I say compliance, again, the inverse of stiffness. So shoes with, you know, essentially, um, you know, harder, stiffer midsoles versus softer ones. That's a really challenging thing to study, actually, because you essentially have to have the exact same shoe, but just changing the components of the foam. um, Because otherwise, there are so many other features of shoes that could, you know, alter your, your interaction with, with the ground. Um, but moreover, what's also interesting is like, because that, that, um, that surface is now on your foot, if we're studying your holistic mechanics and we do that with force plates in the ground, your body, the shoe and the body is now striking the force plate. Um, yeah. So, so you, that, and that's one of the things that I think about a lot with some of these, some of these shoes, um, especially the new generation is like, if we're studying, if we know the property of the shoe is changing. So if we know we have different foams or something um, and we're seeing the same overall force characteristics come out of it, then the body must be doing something differently in them.
0: In that topic. I think, I think one of the things we're, we're hoping you can kind of walk us through is, you know, some of it might be s- the stiffness of this foam underfoot and right now, consumers have these options between a million different kinds of foams. A million's a big number. That's not actually how many, but you have you hear terms like EVA, TPU, you know, PBAX. Like, what what do you know about each of those types of foams? Are there differences between them? And yeah, what what do we know about those kinds of foams? And which ones are out there?
2: Yeah, yeah. So that's that gets back to. Um, I would say just to put a to cap the last question of you know, how the shoes affect our biomechanics, I would say it's incredibly multimodal in the sense of, you know, the foams, which we're now about to talk, talk about, you know, certainly have a bearing, but then of course there are many other pieces of shoes that, that can affect things, you know, architectural pieces. Now, obviously super shoes have these carbon fiber plates in them, but long before super shoes, we would throw in different densities of foams to try and manipulate things. We'd put in plastic shanks to, you know, change the way the shoe bended longitudinally. Because again, thinking of this in a very simple sense, if you just have a piece of foam on your foot, um, the, when your foot moves and flexes over, you know, through stance, like that is just a simple foam might not be the best way to facilitate that. Um, so you, you know, the, essentially you have to start putting in different, different things to kind of optimize that ground interaction. And, every single shoe and every single company have different elements of these and, and different, you know, whether that's changing the longitudinal bending stiffness of the shoe or, or, you know, altering things underneath, you know, the, the thickness of the shoe itself, all of these things do have different effects, which we could go down lots of, lots of rabbit holes, but I guess getting back to the foams. So we'll, we'll, we'll stick to just, we'll stick to foams for now. Cause that's, um, I don't want to say it's, it's not simple, but it's, it's, it's straightforward and a little bit, all of those other things I mentioned are like enormously individualized. And that's why there's a lot of, um, I'd say not, I would say not a ton of consistent, conclusive research on different elements because every single person, you know, I, I like to think of like, our interaction with the ground, it's like, it's like, it's a fingerprint, or it's like, it's a footprint. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, no, it really is. It like, it's a very individualized thing, because just, just as your foot, and I mean, not just your foot, but the way that you load your foot, the way that you load your entire, you know, your body, I, it is this interaction with the ground that it's this very unique dance. And, and the shoe is this kind of like, Um, medium for that in four dimensions. And that, you know, it's this three dimensional piece, but also every moment of it is slightly different. So it, so anyway, so that individual interaction with all of those is, is, and that gets back to what you were saying earlier about it being kind of like an extension of your body. It, It really is that thing where it's like different pieces interact with somebody's foot differently, because you can have, Different strength in your, you know, lower limb. Like your foot has, you know, one of you can probably tell me how many, how many bones are in your foot, how many joints, how many ligaments, how many degrees of freedom is that, and how a shoe can interact with it. Whew. Like that is, um, yeah. So anyways, anyways, getting back, all, all of that's to kind of wrap that up and say, um, yes, shoes, shoes, all of these nuanced features of shoes. Actually, one of the things that's, you know, even crazy about that, I used to I used to run um, run for I'm sure that you know the shoe company ultra um uh had a sponsorship with them for a little bit um and i i did i loved i loved some of their early shoes um but one of the really interesting things was they they do this thing in a lot of their shoes i'm not sure if they do anymore i've not i haven't run in them in years but they it was called InnerFlex, where they like imposed this grid in the shoe to make it more flexible and I started to realize that the shoes that I loved were early versions of their shoes that didn't have that. And when they put it in their shoes, it completely changed how I moved with the shoe where it was like almost like too flexible for my foot. But the crazy thing is the, the founder of the company, Golden Harper, like he loved it. Like it, it was so natural for him. It felt perfect. But where I was like the other end and it's like, there is no right or wrong, but like just that one subtle thing of, of changing the way the shoe bends can be drastically different for different people. Um, yeah. and there's again, no right or wrong. So, so anyways, so that was just an example there. Getting back. I want to wanna, phones, I um, quickly, quickly
1: yeah. paraphrase something really quick. Cause you have touched on ex- like just something incredibly amazing and beautiful that we try to tr- get to our followers all the time and our readers is that. Please remember, like we love reviewing these shoes, and we're gonna give you our interpretations of this, but you have to you cannot remember it's the combination of your body and the shoe and the surface that you're running on. And so how you're going to interact with that shoe is more than likely gonna be totally different than the next person. So you have to remember that, especially if you're watching, you know, elite athletes and what they're doing, how they interact with that shoe is likely to be different from how you interact with that. And that's why there's other variables you need to be thinking about, which we always talk about to people that that follow us. We are trying to teach you more about you and helping you learn more about that because that's a really important piece for to figure out, is this shoe going to work for me? And sometimes you just got to try it out and see, and it may or may not, and that's That's kind of the beauty of what keeps this interesting, but
2: I love it. Music. That's music. Yeah. It's, uh, I I was going to say the other thing too. Uh, There are a lot of factors, but speed, the speed that you're running at, um, influences that actually getting back to those, the ultra shoes that I was telling you, I love that like really flexible interflex thing that it did. I actually found them to be really comfortable at like, you know, relatively slow paces, you know? So if I was doing an easy run at like eight or eight and a half minute mile pace, I loved it. But as soon as I started going faster, like there's this like nonlinear exponential increase of feeling like I was running in sand. And a lot of the shoes that we run in um, will have different you'll have different interactions across speed because your forces are gonna be different. The time that you're in, in contact with the ground will be different. Um, the way that you are kind of it's funny like le- that concept of leg stiffness of our body as a spring. We preserve the overall stiffness of our body as we move across faster and faster, um, uh, at across speeds, but we tighten up the vertical stiffness. So like the amount that you bounce up and down. So that changes essentially the contact time that you're in with the ground. So the way that you are, again, interacting with the ground as you go faster and faster, changes with the shoe in order to maintain that kind of overall spring behavior. So another, another dimension to add for your listeners to remember um, whenever you're thinking about how a certain shoe feels there's, there, there's likely going to be a a speed element to it as well.
0: When you, when you say speed, do you mean absolute speed, or do you mean relative speed, meaning effort per the person? Mm. Just to clarify Um, that.
2: No, that's actually a great question. Uh, And I would say, I was talking about absolute speed because that is that is that is one element that that I think when we're talking strictly mechanically, um, that is yeah, that that is that that is something that has its own bearings in terms of, again, those ground contact, because you really you know, your body is this spring system. It the speed that it moves along is transposable to other speeds. But to your point about so I think there is that element and I actually just um finished up a study with um uh Dustin Joubert at Stephen F. Oh, Austin nice. University who did that nice nice study across the other super study. shoes. Yeah. Yeah. So we just we just um he he did this like awesome, awesome study looking at the shoes at slower speeds and, and I came in to kind of help help analyze it and, and work through the results and one of the things that observed was the essentially lesser effect of the shoes at these slow speeds. Um, and it's, and it, it is in that absolute sense, you know, we hypothesized it's because for probably two reasons where it's less forces, because as you're running slower and slower, even in an absolute sense. So at, you know, 12 minute mile pace, 10 minute mile pace, eight minute mile pace, um, sorry, the two speeds were about 10 minute mile pace and eight minute mile pace. 10 and 12 kilometers an hour. Um, yeah, that absolute, you know, carries, there are mechanical requirements to move a body that fast. Um, now there is there is some relative sense in terms of body mass and, and weight when you're going those speeds. Um, but then to your point about relative speed, if you're talking about like, to, you know, relative to your 5k best speed or your best mile time or something like that, I think that's another one that maybe that's subject to more speculation, but I think there is an element of that too, because we have um, uh, I would say once you start to hit, once you go past your anaerobic threshold and certainly, certainly move towards even um, yeah, move towards the upper domain of like how fast you can actually run. Like we have, we start to, I think our bodies have kind of like, uh, sort of like, it's almost like the, you think of like the nonlinear viscoelastic material that like the harder you poke it, the harder it presses back. I think once we get to like closer and closer to our limits, we really do start to kind of change mechanical patterns. <laughs> um, but I think on, on the spectrum of, of actual, maybe distance running paces, um, it's, it, we can think, Much more in terms of relative or absolute speeds, but with the relative with the relative um, contribution, maybe being more towards like body mass um, when we're thinking about forces and and times on the ground. But the
0: the study you just worked on with Dustin, were those slower speeds done in runners where that's their selected pace for like a marathon or was it done in people who run as fast as maybe DJ or Matt or yourself?
2: Yeah, there was a mix. The, um, okay, it was a mix. The, Cool. the criteria was that twelve kilometers an hour had to be, you know, had to be below the anaerobic threshold for them. Um, so, <laughs> okay. So so there were some people that I actually think uh, we excluded one. Uh, he had to he had to take one person out of it because they they tripped the lactate threshold. Um, but also, you know, he had people who were, um, I think maybe have to go back and check the numbers, but you know, 15, 16 minute, 5k runners. So quite, quite fast. But, but yeah, so a spectrum. That's great. It's kind of, that's
0: for, for someone, like I say, like in my shoes, it's nice when you have you know, doing studies, obviously it's hard to recruit all these things, but you can always think about perfect worlds. Like the perfect world would be people who max out at a three thirty marathon or a four hour marathon or a four, four and a half or a five. And those are the ones studied at those paces and seeing if their difference in, in these shoe uses versus, and like you said, there's not, pace isn't the only one Then
2: you have body mass to play into it and all these other, there's a million factors,
0: which makes it fun and
2: hard. Yeah. And so, no it is interesting though because I mean that was one of the that bouncing behavior study had did show that at very low speeds elite runners versus highly trained runners not even like elite versus recreational like these are 350 milers versus 415 milers um so very very good runners at very slow speeds they had very distinct mechanics so i think to your cool. point of like you know it is it's one of the challenges with running research absolutely is like is it's, yeah, there, there are just so many, say so many degrees of freedom in our populations of runners of like, you know, ability that they're at speed that they're at, um, you know, and then of, of course all those anthropometric features, body mass, but also you know, limb length, you know, preferred stride frequencies, things like that, that kind of really affect mechanics. uh um, fiber distribution. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, um, yeah. So definitely, definitely one of the challenges, but.
0: Well, there you have it. There is part one of our interview with Dr. Jeff Burns. There was a lot to unpack in that first part. And it's a really great launching point to what we dive into next week when we really talk about the properties of foams like EVA and p and TPU, etc. There's a lot of knowledge that he drops in the second half. A lot of history of these foams and their formation, as well as the properties that we really should be looking at when we think about foams and what questions we should actually be asking about what these foams can do. So we really look forward to next week, but until then, feel free to continue following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Drop us any questions you might have at Podcast at gmail.com, and we will try to integrate them into this episode, or if we can, we'll even respond over email. We'll see you guys next week.